Welcome to the podcast where we talk to guests about five moments in their lives they'll never forget. This is Backstory with Steve Legg. It's fabulous to have you with me today on the new show, where I bring together an incredible array of stars of stage and screen, stand-up comedians and magicians, writers and artists, leaders and entrepreneurs, to chat about the five significant times in their lives they'll never forget. It's great to have you here. And my guest today is Justin Dowds, the big cheese at the brilliant child development charity, Compassion UK. Before working at Compassion, Justin successfully established and managed his own business and worked as a community pharmacist across Scotland, whilst also running the Scottish-based Christian music festival, Frenzy. He also directed an international team who fundraised, designed and constructed a solar-powered hospital in Haiti following the earthquake there in 2010. Justin joined Compassion UK in 2011 as the major donor director before taking over the senior director of marketing and engagement in 2014, finally taking over the top spot five years ago. He's a great guy and we even went camping in Africa and climbed a mountain together. I know you'll love him as much as I do. Here he is. It's Justin Dowds. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Good morning, Steve. How are you? I am fantastic, thanks. What an intro. Love it. It's all true. You're very. You've got an impressive CV, Justin. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting and varied one, certainly. Well, come on. How's it been for charities during pandemic? Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, it's. I think for for those charities who have had a, a shop presence or a charity shop presence, or who have relied heavily on events based fundraising, it's been really, really challenging. And um, with all the events stopping and shops being closed, so it's been really. Um, that's not us at Compassion UK. We have sort of individual contributors who are partnered and sponsoring an individual child. And so for us, it's actually been um, not too bad in terms of we've not been able to acquire new sponsors, but the existing sponsors we already have have been incredibly generous in this season, incredibly loyal and incredibly encouraging. And so it's definitely a varied picture across the charity landscape. So how many children do you, do you sponsor at the moment? So um, globally, across all of our partners, just over 2.1 million children. And in the UK, uh, we currently have sponsors for 107,000 of, of that 2 million. So it's, it's a large organisation, a large global family. And it's brilliant. I love it. I've been to India and Africa and all over the place with it and a very proud ambassador. So it's fabulous. And mm-hmm. I've met some of our sponsored children and... Uh, it's hard. You have to keep keep your sunglasses on, don't you? <laughs> Otherwise, you tear up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think t- both actually tears of. I um, mean, I've certainly had lots of tears of 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 joy and also uh, real real moments where just um, the depravity of some situations really hits you. For the, the 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 injustice and the unfairness that that some particularly children um, have to live through and endure um, really does challenge our, our sense of what of what we think happens in the world from time to time. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's certainly an emotional an emotional journey when you're confronted with with extreme poverty face to face. But it is also so encouraging that your twenty five or thirty pound a month changes lives and makes an incredible difference, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's um, twenty eight pounds a month just now. Um, I've had the privilege of sponsoring many children. Actually, this week I just got a I got a letter from my my young child that I sponsor in in Kenya called Emmanuel. 
and he said, uh, "Dear Justin, I, I've just received my new school uniform. I wanted to show it to you." Oh, and um, they they sent they sent me this little picture. And um, his school has been closed, but his local project have actually been employing uh, community-based tutors to go around and do distance learnings in, in the field to really help the children maintain a, a level of educational attainment even whilst the schools have been closed. And so he sent me a little picture of his, of his tutor standing about five metres from him, <laughs> talking to him <laughs> under, under a tree in his school uniform. So, oh, yeah, it's absolutely it's fantastic. To, what a privilege to have the opportunity to invest into a young person's life in this time. Tremendously exciting. So, Justin, five yeah. memories. I know we're going to have some crackers yeah. here. And I know Haiti <laughs> was, was really <clears throat> important to you and really significant in your life and your journey. Yeah. Um, tell absolutely. us about the hospital project in Haiti. Yeah, hospital is, is definitely something I'll, I'll never forget. And, you know, in particular, we had the opportunity to open it in 2013, but a number of years previous, um, I had had the, 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 my very, very first trip to Haiti on my very first night on Laganav. I didn't know what I was expecting. I wasn't experienced in international development at all. I hadn't really seen extreme poverty before. Despite being a pharmacist and, and working in drug addiction services in Scotland, I, I hadn't seen extreme poverty before. And my very first day I went to this hospital, um, this rundown Wesleyan hospital. I'd been there about 50 years and I came face to face with a young child who was dying of AIDS. And his mother, through the interpreter, asked if I would pray for her and for her son at that time. Ooh. And I, I've personally never seen such an, an emaciated uh, body as that. And I've, I've never prayed into a situation like that. But um, I had the opportunity to hold the mum's hand and the child's hand and pray with them. And that, that child didn't, didn't survive the night. And I just looked around that hospital and just saw there was sometimes two people to a bed. There was sometimes people who were who were um, heavily pregnant about to go into labour and an AIDS patient in the same ward. And the, the place was dark and dingy. And I, I just felt broken for the Lord to say this is this is this is not right. This doesn't have to be this way. And how and and how could we be involved and partner with others to to bring transformation to the healthcare facilities on in this community? So long journey started and. Um, we had uh, uh, we managed to raise about two two million dollars over the next four or five years to to construct this solar powered um, hospital facility um, right in the middle of of this island of Lag Laganav. And so, in 2013, when you're saying a memory, just the privilege for myself and my friends to walk around uh, this facility, um, this new 44 bed hospital. Um, which had uh, 24-hour power through batteries and solar so that the surgeons could operate even in the evening when necessary. And the, the memory of just walking into the sort of children's ward and there was a there was a new bed and there was a clean sheet and this, this young child um, who we reckon was about between two and five, he'd actually been left on a in a bag at the entrance to the hospital the day it opened. Um, he was a child that had, um, he was almost paralysed actually, he had significant um, both mental and physical challenges that he was going to have to uh, battle during his life, but but someone had actually placed him there. And as we were walking around, there was just this this beautiful white sheet that this child was being given the opportunity, and the nurses were able to actually operate and and function in in a well run facility. And I just love the sense of giving people the opportunity to have some dignity back right when mm. they need it most. And um, so yeah, so I just, I just, it's a memory I'll never, I'll never forget that uh, that God allowed me to be a part of something. He, uh, I don't take the credit for for the construction or the fundraising, but I was allowed to be part of a phenomenal team. And uh, the thing I learned that somebody said to me is like, it's amazing what you can achieve when nobody's bothered about who gets the credit. Totally. And um, 
And so even now, even now, actually, we, we opened it 2013, but next week, um, uh, some people that were involved in Tesla before have managed to source a, a large Tesla wall to significantly improve the battery power for that hospital. And so a, a Tesla wall is going in uh, next week, actually, to, to, to allow us to expand the services even more in that facility. So, yeah, uh, brilliant uh, memory. I love it. Oh, yeah. And I would imagine it's been an absolute lifeline du- during COVID. It has actually, remarkably, in Haiti, um, very, very low numbers of, of COVID um, in that in that place because because international travel. I mean, the, the biggest chance of COVID getting into Haiti would be someone taking it with them. Um, and if, with the suspension of international travel, the, the hospital haven't seen um, significant challenges. But um, they they are on that island. They have particular challenges with tuberculosis um, and <clears throat> excuse me and um, and some challenges are in cholera as well, situations that are gone. So when I talk to them about COVID, they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that as another challenge when it arrives here. But, but right now we have, we have the very, the, the, the reality of dealing with uh, drug resistant TB and they have a number of HIV patients that they're seeing as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a facility. It's a lifeline that's been there through multiple distant health crises. But by God's grace, COVID has not been too bad in Haiti yet. Wonderful. This is the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. So, Justin, I, I said in the intro again, we climbed a mountain together. We did Kilimanjaro. Yeah. I know it's not; it wasn't your first time. Um, it was an amazing experience for me. Um, I still have memories of you washing yourself with a small flannel halfway up a mountain in a bucket. Uh, I've had Ministry for the Healing of the Memories, but <laughs> it's quite that an was experience. Isn't one of my it? memories. And I thought it was your podcast, and I thought I better not be rude on his podcast. I'm not going to have that in my memory. You crack on. <laughs> it's an experience, isn't it? It, it definitely is an experience, and actually, um, my, my memory is is Kilimanjaro. But um, I, I, I look back fondly upon it. It was an incredible opportunity to do that, and it was actually um, one of the main activities we did to raise funds to uh, to help construct this hospital. So there was a group of us went over in in 2010 um, to climb Kilimanjaro in the June season. And I hadn't really done enough training whatsoever. So my, my memory actually is when, when you're kind of walking up that you kind of dream of that, that moment at the top with the sign, mm. you know, the summit sign at the top of you and all your team standing there arm in arm, brothers and sisters together. We did this. We, we conquered this mountain. But, but my memory, I, I laughed so much because I was so unfit and so slow <laughs> that by the time I got to the summit, nobody else was there. <laughs> so there's, there's no, there's no team photograph to, to look back and enjoy on. And I, I, as I'm going up this last hour of going up, I can see my team coming back down past me, like, go and keep going, Justin, keep going. I'm like, yeah, this is this is going to be some experience at the top of my own. So <laughs> it, was, it was definitely an experience that I, I feel very privileged to have um, taken part in because um, it, you, we did the sort of five-night, six-day route up Kilimanjaro and it's some beautiful, beautiful scenery and it's just an opportunity to step away from the mobile phone and technology mm. and just enjoy creation and actually enjoy really great fellowship there's nothing there's no television in the evening is there so you're, nope. you're sitting around a, a bench eating soup that looks the same every night but has a different title <laughs> <laughs> that was good soup and, was it soup i wonder what it was, it was. <laughs> but we just you know, you fellowship together, you laugh together, you really get to bond with people that you wouldn't necessarily get to spend a huge amount of time with. And um, it's certainly a memory I'll, I'll, I'll hold for the rest of my days. 
And in terms of the altitude sickness, you were okay. I remember you were a little bit delirious on the second one. I was absolutely fine. I had a, a GP pal who'd done it who recommended Diamox. So I was taking these tablets that women take for morning sickness, and I was absolutely fine. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I think that the, the first one, that's probably why I was so slow. I had, I wasn't taking any medicines and, um, yeah, I, I found, um, not, not so much the physical challenge, but just the headache. I got a really mm. bad headache that kind of makes you kind of wince as you're going up on that last night. Um, but I mean, primarily, primarily for me, it was, I just wasn't fit enough. And that was my learning point for when I did the trip with you. I was significantly lighter and fitter and I'd actually, and yes, and I'd also worn in my boots. Never climb Kilimanjaro in new hiking boots. Oh, um, and I know it's a rookie error, but I was one of the ones that had that rookie error. <laughs> so are you planning so again, on, 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 on more trips when, when everything gets back to normal? Yeah, I, t- I think more trips for me actually is going to be Scotland. Um, obviously, I live down in Hampshire now, but my family are all back in Scotland and I've you know, I've not been able to see them for months now. So this year, my trips are back to... To Scotland and climbing, uh, we've been looking at some Monroes that we want to plan to, to climb and hike and just enjoy that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if international travel will return this year, will it? So no. we're going to try and try and enjoy some hiking in Scotland this year for sure. Love it. This is Lieutenant Colombo, and you're listening to Steve Legg's Backstory Podcast, the most fun you can have without a cigar and a trench coat. All right, I think I bothered you enough today. I let you go ahead and listen. Oh. One more thing. Enjoy the show. So, Justin, you used to plan a um, big music festival up in Scotland, Frenzy. And uh, I know th- I know the festivals have been hit big time in 2020, and it looks like 2021. Certainly the first half yeah. of the year, everything is off. Um, yeah. Probably people listening, it must it sounds very glamorous being an organiser of a music festival, mixing with the big stars, eating, drinking, laughing backstage together. What's it really like? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's hilarious actually when we, <laughs> when, when, when we hear that that's the perspective that some people have. And um, yeah, we, so I ran a, a music festival in Scotland in, in Edinburgh and, you know, it was a multi-stage event, multi-day event. And we had around six or seven thousand people come each year. So it wasn't massive, but it wasn't it wasn't tiny. And um, it, it was it was a great experience. Um, I was serving as a youth pastor at the time and my, my brother was um, he was also involved in youth ministry, and we, we really felt we wanted to do something to create a, an incredible um, youth and family experience in, in Scotland. So uh, we started this event. It was really, really hard slog. It's it's uh, really challenging to, to break even. So I actually, you mentioned at the start of the podcast, set up a business, and we did. We set up a conference center business so that we could generate profit that we would put into the festival to keep it running. And um, it, it was it was fantastic, but it was always a struggle to kind of make ends meet. And um, my, my finance director and I, we were constantly, um, personally, <laughs> investing is one way you could say it. Losing is the is the other way. But we were <laughs> we we'll go, we'll go with investment, and we were consi- consistently investing into it just to kind of keep this event running. And then the, the you know the global financial crisis hit, and that. That made things even even harder. So we we decided in 2010 would be the last one that we would do, and um, and we would try and go out with a bang. And when you're when you're running an event like that, you know we just couldn't afford at all really paid staff. I mean, I was still working as a pharmacist at the time, uh, trying to run this conference center business, and I put a manager in there. I'm a finance director. We had a senior finance role, and then we would come to the office in the evening and try and 
run this music festival for <laughs> as volunteers. Um, and so it, it it was really hard to do. And actually, even on the day, you know, myself and, and my finance director, Mike, running around uh, trying to keep things uh, trying to keep things running, even managing just the, the volunteers of, of three or four hundred volunteers. So, so we had some great memories over the years, and I'm really glad that we did it. We we learned so much, and so many of the opportunities that I'm now enjoying really were initiated during that time. But I do have this one memory of on, um, of Switchfoot, <laughs> a band that we myself and Mike really enjoyed. And um, as we were running around crazy on the very very last event, we said, look, we really should stop and just enjoy something we we not we've not enjoyed any anything that's happened yet let's let's just go into the main arena and stand in front of the sound desk and so we we did that and we just we stood together arm in arm in front of the sound desk and 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 just listened to switch we play their set and we we kind of both looked at each other and said that's the most expensive version of a switch song we'll ever hear (laughs) (laughs) probably gonna take us five years to pay it back um but uh but yeah, I think some of those some some experiences which go really well are formative for you, aren't they? And others which are real challenges and haven't gone as well as you may have hoped um, are also formative. And so it's we we still joke about it to this day. But it was a very expensive version of that song. Oh, sounds <laughs> like it. So would you ever be ever be tempted to put on another festival? Do you know the interesting thing is I never say never now because when I did that first trip up Kilimanjaro and I stood there at that site and nobody else was there I'm like I'm never ever ever doing this again that's the hardest thing I've ever done and then just a couple of years later um, there I am climbing Kilimanjaro with yourself and some great friends Um, so I never say never but um, it's definitely not a money making scheme so there has to be a very very specific purpose I think in a call to actually, and you know, for those who are running festivals right now, and or those who are involved in live events, um, or those who rely on those for mm. for their income, it must be a really challenging and difficult time. And certainly, my thoughts and prayers are with those guys just now. Big time. In the latest bumper edition of Sorted magazine, big name exclusive interviews, Hollywood A-listers, TV adventurer Bear Grylls, inspirational true life stories, adrenaline-fueled sports features, all this plus gadgets, entertainment, motoring, movies and technology, plus probably the greatest team of Christian writers ever assembled. Available now from high street retailers nationwide or visit sortedmag.com. Sorted for men for life. Now, Justin, we've been together at many festivals over the years, mm. um, big and small. And yep. um, in the annals of Christian folklore of Bible weeks, there is a tale, and I've never had confirmation, but the accent and everything and your description and thinking about Kilimanjaro and the flannel and the bucket, there is a story of a young man resembling yourself, Scotsman, uh, streaking at a Bible week. Causing pandemonium. Do you come on, come clean? We love exclusives on this podcast. Do you know anything about this? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. You say coming clean, yes, because well, <laughs> we used to, we used to travel um, as as a church. How was you pastor at the time? How embarrassing! But um, to Stormley Bible Week, and it had about I don't know, fourteen. 15,000 people were there and we, we would go there every single year and, and for some reason I have no idea why but for some reason they put this like large shower block right next to the the main arena entranceway they must have been saving on power or water placement <laughs> or something um, 
And so, you know, typical when you're at a Bible week, you you uh, you get up, you're 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 getting hot and sweaty from sitting in rooms that don't have air conditioning, and you're doing a bit of sport in the afternoon, and um, you, you want to get a bit freshened up before the before the evening session because you don't want to be joining the queue for a shower after the evening session. So, here's me just toddle off to my to get a quick shower, make sure all my youth and young people are fine and fed, and I thought I'll just get a quick shower. So anyway, I am. Um, Showering, showering, shampoo, open my eyes, and all of a sudden the room is completely empty. And I'm looking around the shower room, and when I say empty, I mean everything's gone: my clothes, my towels, <laughs> uh, the shower cut, the shower curtains, <laughs> the, 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 the tissue roll. Um, it's gone from, and there's just nothing in this room. And I'm, I'm standing there going, "Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to do?" And I, I wasn't quite sure what the time was, but I thought I'm going to have to try and make it back before everybody is on their way to the main event session. And um, so, um, yeah, my, my, my friend, my assistant pastor, believe you or not, um, I actually saw him in the distance through this little window and I shouted to him and he refused to go and get me any clothes. He thought this was hilarious. And he's like, if you go now, you'll miss the rush. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, well, he's, he's still repenting for that lie because it was the must be the busiest thoroughfare as I'm sprinting naked through five or six thousand people back <laughs> back to my tent. Uh, of, and of course, you know, all all hopes of me being able to maintain some sort of control and discipline of my youth and young people after that moment was gone. As clearly I've been the worst example of a, of a youth pastor you could have <laughs> running naked through the Bible camp. So, uh, yeah, that was definitely me, Steve. This happened to us all. <laughs> I don't think that has. <laughs> You're listening to the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the memories. So I'm here with Justin Dowes, my good friend and fellow mountaineer. <laughs> Just chit-chatting about memories and whatever and things he'd like to forget as well. But um, tell us about when you got the big job at Compassion, because you obviously took over for me in Hamilton, who is yep. legendary. Uh, I just feel so privileged to have to have this role, and as you know, I've been working for Compassion for a, for a number of years before. But the board quite rightly felt that um, they wanted to do a full and, and open and transparent um, application process for the for the CEO role, and um, uh, so they, they 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 put it out to tender, and I think there's like 233 people applied um, for the role. And so when I heard that, I was like, "Well, that that's going to be <laughs> that's wow. going to be interesting to see to see what happens there." And they had a, a multi stage they had a multi stage process. And um, you know, from my from my perspective, I'd, I'd moved my family down um, to to England and <clears throat> applying for this role, and just wondering what did God have in store for us? Did he did he want me to you know become the CEO of Compassion, or was there something else? That, and just the, the sort of real um, sense of of just waiting um, for real clarity as to as to what uh, would be next steps for our, ourselves and our family. And uh, yeah, I went through that process, took about six months, and then uh, the chairman called me and, and said that, you know, they wanted to offer a position to become the CEO of Compassion. And um, it was it was just such an, I'll never forget that moment because it was just this sitting in the car in a little lay-by um, didn't have hands free <laughs> on my phone at that time. So when he phoned, I threw it over and was just sitting there and just, uh, I was just really genuinely surprised. I think I got to the stage of thinking, okay, I've done as well as I can, but I, I, I think there'll be another candidate they'll offer the role to. And I wonder what the future will look like. And then just to have this opportunity given. And 
what, what a sense of responsibility because um, um, you know we have a hundred thousand supporters and um, they're not just people that give over twenty eight pounds of their hard earned cash every month to, to sponsor their child. They're really partners in ministry, mm. um, and they're 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 joining with us in this most precious opportunity of seeing children released from from poverty in the name of Jesus Christ. And so uh, just that sense of um, excitement at what they're ahead, but also that sense of of, of responsibility um, that, that, that I would be entrusted to kind of carry on from what Ian had done and led so well, and, and hopefully be able to see significantly more children released from poverty through through the impact of our ministry. So yeah, so it was a, it was a very interesting season. I've been CEO five years, and even Ian said to me, "He's like, my goodness, Justin, I think you've had more in more in the first four years than, oh, yeah. than I had in the sixteen years that I was doing it." You know, we've gone, we've had a global pandemic, um, and our landlord served um, notice on us and told us, you know, within nine months we had to clear the office that we were in, and because um, he wanted to convert it to flats, we had to relocate the office in that time, and then also because of some challenges around. Um, operations in India, we had to actually pull out of India and we saw over 9,000 of our sponsored children. The, the, those sponsorships had to be had to be ended because our, our ministry, we were um, had to leave India in terms of serving there as, in a ministry capacity. So yes, yeah, so there's been some real there's been some real challenges to overcome as a CEO, but actually we've also seen seen God's favour. And so for me, as a, as a, as a memory. Um, I'll never, I'll never forget that that opportunity, and it's it's it felt like for me, it felt like both God and and the board were saying, we want to entrust and give you this responsibility, and and what an incredible privilege! Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So, any updates on India? Yeah, I mean, our desire would have would of course be to be able to serve in India once again, but actually, um, we, we're still in contact with a number of. Of those that we served with in a sort of unofficial, non-compassion capacity, and, and to the best of our estimates, we, we reckon about a third to a half of the children who are in a sponsorship program are still being ministered to by their local church in a form of holistic child development. We've we've seen other churches in India really come up and say, okay, because we can't, because compassion can't support in this way anymore. How can we continue? The ministry to children that, that was being supported before, and we're beginning to see some innovative, different models of, of of releasing children from poverty in India coming through as a result. So whilst it was painful and it was difficult and it was challenging, and we have a desire to go back there and serve, um, should we be permitted to do so in the future, um, we are seeing some encouraging glimmers of of how the church in India itself is is responding creatively to the needs of children, and that that is also encouraging. Brilliant. And if someone wants to sponsor a child, if someone's been inspired by what you've said today? Mm. Uh, our website, CompassionUK.org. Um, please just go on there or you can go to the App Store and download the Compassion UK app, which takes you through a journey and tells you a lot more about what sponsorship looks like and and how you can be involved, even if it's in a non-financial way. If people just want to get connected with, with Compassion, if they want to stand with us in prayer, um, and, and be an, an encouragement to the ministry in that sense, um, then we're obviously delighted to for people to partner with us in that way as well. So, yeah, but the website's probably the easiest one, compassionuk.org. Fabulous, Justin. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, pal. You've been listening to the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. Catch you next time.